Hey, Matt, it's that time of the week again. Good to see you, my friend. Looks like it's still pretty warm down in Reno. You're sitting there in your singlet. And I'm looking forward to chatting to you because we've got some exciting news, right? So it's it's time to let the cat out the bag. Yeah, well, the first cat I'll let out of the bag, Bobby, is that my office faces the sun. And so it has been quite warm in Reno, but not as warm as it was before. So I'm actually sitting today in some shorts, whereas a lot of podcasts, I'm sitting in my underwear, if I'm being honest, right? This is getting a little bit cooler because we've actually had a lot of uh, rain lately. So actually really like the cloud coverage. It's been a little bit more fun to run in the mornings with our boy, Ryan Peel. And so, yeah, really enjoying the the fall weather sprinkling in there a little bit. I know it's probably going to get hot again. I think next week we'll face some heat again. But speaking of heat and our announcement here or our reveal is that uh, I've had the the very unique privilege and honor of working with Chelsea Sodaro. And that started about two months ago. And uh, we just decided that we were going to actually be a team and not uh, talk about it until we really gelled and we knew the system was working for for all of us or both of us involved there, but her entire team really. So it has been quite a journey, a lot of wonderful work with her. And yeah, speaking of that heat, it was in Singapore last weekend. I think it was 98 degrees and the humidity was was pretty close to that as well. I think quite the day, quite the conditions. Chelsea is just the gamer. She went into that race with a lot of heavy expectations on her. I think she handled it really well. But the fact is that the races leading up to that were some DNFs and she had some things she had to work through. But she she had her day. She came back and uh, she ended up getting third overall and had the fastest run of the day, which is so exciting, Bobby. I'm, I'm sure you watched at least the, the highlights of that race as well, but would love to know your thoughts, Bobby. Yeah, the PTO Asian Open was magnificent, right? It was quickly on the heels of the U.S. PTO Open where we had fireworks, right? And fireworks were expected there as well. And everybody knew going in, it was going to be just a pressure cooker in terms of competition, as well as in terms of just extreme heat and humidity, right? It's just, I think maybe 20, 25 years ago, they would say it's just, unless you've done Kona, just don't even bother. It's just so hot. And then also knowing that Chelsea comes from that running background, but one of the reasons why she left running was the fact that she was getting injured repeatedly and so on. And she gave, gave, uh, she decided to give triathlon a go. And being the world-class athlete that she is, not a lot of people know that going into this race, there was quite a lot of doubt just in terms of the team front. And then to just see her running so free and so unencumbered, right? And cutting her way through the field there and getting onto a podium in a short distance race where the last time she'd raced successfully was in Canada in the PTO was I think just so exciting because everybody wants Chelsea back. She's our reigning Ironman champion and and so our world champion. And everybody wanted to see her before before the big dance party again in Kona in in October. Congratulations, Matt. No, just wonderful work. Incredible to just see her running to her potential again. It was a beautiful thing. Well, thank you. Yeah, a couple of points that I want to bring up. One, with 
any elite pro athlete like Chelsea, I, I don't talk about specifics because that's her business, but it is more about understanding that we are still shaking that rust off, connecting the dots, and it can happen to all of us. And those are the general principles that I'm always going to look at and follow with our program run form. Now, we've talked about this before, but again, run form was developed for running, but we had the endurance athlete in mind and swim, bike, run always in mind. So with a product like that, of course, our niche is run form, running off the bike, running a marathon on just the principles and the the better general preparation that we can do there is good for all of us. We went back to the basics with a lot of stuff with Chelsea and I cannot take credit for how quickly she connected the dots. So the last thing I'll always say is that it was really her commitment, her consistency, her industriousness, her enthusiasm. That's what blew me away. No matter how many times I've done this, just to see somebody that is at the highest level, but still humbled enough to say, I'll, if you're telling me that I need to work on these basics, I will do it. And that's where Runform really does shine. We have those basics in there for a reason. Welcome to the Runform podcast. I'm Bobby McGee, running mechanics expert. And I'm Matt Pandola, your run-specific strength coach. Matt and I have been working together for almost a decade on some of the top athletes in the world, and we've decided to share that process with you guys. We're going to talk now about our commonly asked questions today, because I've been getting a lot of questions about run form, which I love. And I think that we can cover a lot of these subjects in details that we can express on the podcast comes out a little better than in emails. And although I certainly love the fact that people are contacting me to get that information, I want them to understand those details with especially your voice in mind here, Bobby. We'll kick this off with our run form commonly asked question. The, the main question, believe it or not, tends to be about whether or not they need to do this program in 12 weeks. So we're going to start with that <laughs> because certainly you do not need to finish the program in 12 weeks. It is a lifetime access. So you can take your time with that, but there's more details to it than just that. So I'll start off with just working with executives the way that I have over the past 30 plus years. I completely understand that you may not have the ability to review all of the details in the videos and get all of the movements done. We did have day one where we wanted to introduce fewer movements and slowly build from there. So that is obviously what we did. And we do feel like you should be able to get this done in uh, an acceptable time frame. And to me, I'm always thinking really a max of 20 minutes, right? But I want to express that so for some people, they're going to be better off reviewing the video, doing a single movement, and really feeling like they're getting some of the understanding, not perfect, just starting to be aware and having that ability to be able to say, huh, I've been doing, let's say, 
are quad tugs, right? I've been doing those all my life, but I now I'm realizing that every time I do them, I'm spilling my spine and, and bailing my hip out. Now I can see this needs to be done with the specifics these guys are talking about. So maybe that's all you get done that day. And what I've suggested to a lot of people is that if they're really limited on their time, focus on your famous DMDs, the dynamic mobility drills. That's one I feel like doesn't matter what time of the year it is, just focus on mastering those first if you're feeling overwhelmed by the other movements or if you are, say, too close to a race. Okay, Bobby, your comments on that, sir? Yeah, I think it's it's really, I'm so glad you brought it up as the first question because it really is at the heart of, of the whole program, right? So I think there's so many little things to reiterate here and then maybe people get a fresh take on that. So the first thing to remember is, is that running is a first language, right? We didn't learn how to run, right? And the things that we do in our running that are, less effective are as a result of things that happen to us, right? The whole idea with run form is to teach the first, reteach the first language, right? So people hear if their first language is English, but they learned how to speak French or they learned how to speak Spanish or something like that. They learned that very differently. They learned the grammar, they learned the connections, they learned all of those things, right? Which you don't do in a first language. So people find it really hard to relearn some things in running that they've never thought about. Common answer to a question is, is why do you do that with your foot or your arm or your leg? I have no idea. I've always done this. In fact, I didn't even know I was doing this until you pointed it out. Now I'm self-conscious about that. That danger of showing people video of themselves running, right? Is, oh, I look awful. I'm clearly clueless at this running thing, right? But it's more a question of removing what's not the good running, right? So I think the things that people need to know is that if you took a year to do run form, you'd probably be better off than somebody that took eight weeks to do it or six weeks to do it, right? So the idea is mastery, understanding what you're looking for. So like quad tugs are, is a very good example, right? Quad tugs can be done in... 20 different ways that are less effective, but just those simple little things like keep keeping the ankle dorsiflexed throughout and firing the glute, those little bits, all right, uh, exhaling, getting the chest down, engaging the, the anterior core, all of those things become so, so much more important than actually, oh, I'm just loosening up my quads. That's almost nothing to do with it, right? And then also just that understanding that the idea is frequency. If you do run form with an endurance mindset that you're trying to make yourself fatigued, you're completely missing the point. You're actually slowing the process down. So it's like the old message where the, where the Westerner went to the guru, the Eastern guru, and said, how long will it take me to reach enlightenment? And, and the guru said, probably around about four years if you apply yourself. And the Westerner said, well, what happens if I work super hard and I really try my best to get this all done and I get up before everybody else and I go to bed after everybody else? And the guru said, yep, it'll probably take you about eight years then. <laughs> you know, just that understanding. So, so the concept of mastery is when you're breathing and you're taking your time and you are fully engaged in the movement. And I agree with you, dynamic mobility drills 
often go, you know, whether these people are basketball players or whether they're racquetball players, they will learn dynamic mobility drills from me. And they will say, well, in the beginning, they were a little bit sore and it took a long time to recover from that. And then after a while, they found it was a really effective way for them to do their warm up before their activity. And then people started saying, I, I just can't do it without it. I'm just so much more a superior athlete when I do those things. So that, that whole idea, take your time, be patient. It's not a rush. It's set up in a very progressive way over a 12-week period, but not everybody can do it that way. And also remember, we, we often speak about the fact that run form falls a little bit up the scale, right? So you, you need to have a little bit of athletic ability to, to be able to do these things and to start with these things and to master them, right? But there, we know that the pros would still do the run form as it is right now, but we also know that beginners and beginner runners and so on also learn that mastery. But if you need to go slower, for sure. When I used to do just that dynamic mobility drills, I used to do an hour class twice a week. And folks used to come, they used to just drop in for an hour. And when the elites used to drop in, they used to look at the folks that were regulars that had been with me for three, four years. And they'd go, oh my goodness, these people move amazingly. And the people themselves were saying, I don't, I didn't really get a sense that I move amazingly because, but I obviously am so much better than when I started, right? But getting a different level of enjoyment out of the, out of it as well. So it's ritualistic and it's getting to the points that you want to, but I can't stress enough that people must look at those little salient points. When you start off with run form, pay attention to the details. The devil is in the details. That's such an important part of that. And for people to know too, those movements that we chose were reduced from seven, eight, nine, ten times those amount of movements that we could have put in that program. It would have been ridiculously cumbersome. And there's still some days where I sit and I watch run form and I say, I wish we could have found space for maybe this one or in time we need to add that one because it's a big body of work that people need to get through if they really want that that full benefit at the end of the day. Yeah, and this is another question that comes up a lot. What if I miss a day? My answer, it depends because you've mentioned a couple of scenarios here. So I want to be clear that if somebody is more experienced and they've been doing this type of work for a while and they have that coordination control, that athleticism, and they are absorbing this a little bit quicker, then they're on a little bit different of a trajectory there. But for most, when they are beginners, if you miss a day, that's okay. If you miss two, go back a few is what I end up saying because it's really a lot of re-education that's happening at that, we'll call it that unconscious incompetence. We are trying to establish now more of that conscious incompetence. And it's more about how we're wired. We are trying to connect dots. And when I say that, that's my simple way of saying that really a lot of this comes down to patterns in our nervous system and how many um, times have we repeated these drills so that we get that accumulation and that awareness becomes more and more visceral? 
right? So if we look at that, there's no rush here, in other words. So some people have actually repeated the first week again, because maybe the first week they got 50% of it in and they just repeat that first week and they feel like they're more, more towards that understanding of that first week. And then they can develop more towards that mastery that way by not pushing ahead, even though they feel like they haven't gotten in, say, half of the work. So it really does depend on a lot of different things. And when I talk to somebody who is retired now, and they may actually break this up into micro doses more into their day. And they're able to actually absorb quite a bit, even though they're older, even though they have that uh, old dog, new tricks uh, mindset that they won't be able to learn this stuff because they are doing things so frequently and they're micro setting, doing a movement they really want to master even throughout the day, every four hours or so. I've actually heard people saying I've done that and yeah, that works. That works really well. So they have the time for that. Fantastic. Then I have the flip side of things where we have our marathoner, Ryan Peel, who's, he's a, an executive, he's a businessman, he's a father and a family man first, which is uh, absolutely what we have designed this kind of stuff for. And he will have to repeat a little bit more often. And that understanding and that awareness is coming but we're not necessarily staying on the exact same trajectory there as we would with somebody who has more time to commit. So you do have to make it your own. You have to be able to give yourself permission to say, hey, you know what? I think that maybe that first week went pretty smoothly for me. Maybe stuff happens in the second week in your life and you weren't able to really get those movements down. So repeat that week if you need to. So the movements can, are there for you to serve you. And over time, you can master these movements. Does that mean that you're going to do it three months and then repeat it another three months? Sure, that can mean that. That's what I've done for myself. And I'm now on my third cycle of this. But for other people, it may take them, say, four months to get through the program. It's 12 weeks is because we had to have a system that you can follow, of course, and we wanted it to be easy to follow. So we gave your days all in a row, but you make it your own. Yeah, I, it really reminds me of that old saying, right? How would you dance if nobody was watching? And that's the process that takes place when you start doing run form, right? You're trying to do it right, but you actually just have to get into the habit of doing it because then you will start to feel the benefits, right? So the whole idea with movements and drills is to address those unique areas so that when you do run, you don't want to be thinking about it. Those things have been addressed. They have been corrected. And as you start to then get fit with your run training, then you start to notice, okay, this is what's happening for me now. I'm doing things, but I'm not trying to do them. That's what, that's the magic of the work that you do. Same with myself is people do something that seems unrelated and then they start to make the connection. They connect the dots and then they just continue where they're running, but then their running shows the improvement. And I just had this experience now as well as uh, started with a, an Olympic level athlete who comes from a swimming background, 
did just over a year of drills work very regularly. And then other athletes coming and saying, well, we want to learn from her because she moves beautifully. She's how we want to run. And when she started off, she was that same person saying, no, I don't want to run like I run. That's terrible. I want to run like I look like I know what I'm doing. And, and that just happens by mistake. And I think the second question that you asked, what happens if I miss a day? It's probably a good time for people to understand the concept of myelinization, right? So when you're doing a movement that you are wholly unaware of, right? It's filled with lots of trial and error and mistakes and all that sort of thing. And this is messaging that goes from the brain because running is a automatic movement, right? So if you try to change something, you go away from the automatic, you become uneconomical. This, the stimulus now goes from the brain down to the limb that you're trying to move and back up to the brain for, for evaluation, right? And that's normally an electrical impulse, all right? Well, it is an electrical impulse. It passes along a neuron, right? And these uh, electrons change places to, to move that down to the muscle and then causes the muscle to react. But with voluntary muscles, there's a fat sheath around the nerve fiber. And that fat sheath is called the myelin sheath. If you put some electricity into an aqueous environment, the electricity is transferred m much more quickly over that aqueous environment. So the idea of a myelin sheath is the thicker the myelin sheath becomes, the quicker the movement takes place. But it also not only moves more quickly, it becomes the favorite pathway. So that's why practicing incorrectly leads to incorrect practice or incorrect movement. So that's why I have to pay attention to the details in the beginning, because it's much easier to learn a movement afresh than it is to unlearn a movement and then relearn the, the correct pattern, right? So people think of that. So we have a client, both of us together. She's, she's an Ironman triathlete. And she came up with this saying yesterday that just blew me away because she now understands this concept. Why does she have to do a drill? She says, I'm doing a mile in a minute. <laughs> so she put the mile a minute into the mile in a minute. And it's a beautiful way to look that because the investment that you get in habituation and that you get in mastery is that, that myelin sheath making you better and better at that movement, right? So that's why the pros, that's why the elites are so intentional about their fundamentals. They have very well-learned dynamic mobility rule. That's why the pros keep coming back to us because they say, I know the movements, Bobby. I just want you to keep checking them. I want you to keep checking them. How am I doing this? So every session that they come, there's just little tweaks to be made, right? And so now if you're following run form, you have to pay attention. You have to look at the video of yourself. Does that look like the video that I'm using to learn from? Oh, wow, my foot's not doing that. My arm's not doing it. Let me go practice that again, right? So people know that you can find out all these fancy things, all right? But you cannot do the fancy things without the fundamentals. And that's how it works. You just cannot build a wall without a foundation, all right? Yeah. It will not stay standing. Yeah, I love that. And I, we've talked before about just the way that the body works and how muscles work with their origins and their insertions. And that scenario where we have a door and we have the hinges, 
We have that doorknob where it's at for a reason because it's easy to open the door with that doorknob, right? And the way I think of it is a lot of times people are, they still have the doorknob. They can open the door, but that doorknob may be low and off center and they can still open it. It's just a lot of effort. And with that myelinization, the more that they're doing the right patterns, the closer that doorknob gets to center and in line with the hinges to be able to open that door smoothly, right? And it just takes time to do that, right? And when I am talking to somebody who may have, say, a wobbly wheel, we'll say, right? And that's where I like to use the hub and the spokes scenario. We have that wobbly wheel. We know that where we can still ride, but it's not as safe to do so. We might fall, we might get injured, right? And we're certainly not able to go as fast as possible, but we keep adding spokes and keep truing that wheel. And eventually that wheel is just running smoothly for the long run, so to speak, right? Pun intended. So these are all principles that you build on and you that doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen. And once people understand that this is their journey, I think this next question comes pretty obvious as well, because a lot of people will ask about, say, traditionally with programs, you're going to get, say, a 20 to 30 second video. Okay. And in fact, with uh, programs that I've made, that's exactly what we do, because that is, say, a movement pattern that they're doing maybe in strength that we want to actually keep it as simple as possible. But a lot of times these athletes haven't actually been repeating those patterns very long. Maybe they don't have much of a gym age and it works pretty well just to see the way it's supposed to be done. And then they can watch the education station after and understand, okay, this is why I'm doing this. Some people want that. Some people don't, but I think that people in general make good progress that way. With our program, it's very important that the education station is there. So we do have in our day-to-day assignments, there will be a picture of the movement with that athlete showing the movement, but then you click on and then there is the devil in the details in our video. We didn't want people just going back to the the quad tugs, right? Or something like that. We didn't want people just to say, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I've done those I'll do those. Okay, what's next? We want them to understand those details. And then really that picture is there because once they have mastered it, then they just look at that picture and go, okay, yeah. But if you have to click on the video to see what it is, that means there's still some learning to do. So that was important to us that it was a little bit more educational and that it came across as being important. And so that is why we set up the videos that way too. So you could uh, get all of the steps down in true form, the way that we show it in the video. And I think that sums up why we don't have the traditional format of what you might see in other programs, because we know this will serve you better. Does it sell as many programs? Maybe not, but it is what we believe in. And we believe that we want to actually have a true transformance, something that's really going to serve you in that longevity aspect of things. And that is what I think the the program was really made for. So it's um, a little bit more of a course at first for people. 
But of course, eventually they've got it all down and they have that now unconscious competence. And now all they have to do is look at the look at the picture and go, yeah, okay, I, I know that one. Or eventually they don't have to look at anything. Right. Correct. Yeah. No, it's it's so very interesting when you when you say that. The 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 mindset of the endurance athlete is to endure, right? To be tough, to hang in there. Hence the name Iron Man and stuff like that, right? These are people that are tough and strong. And sadly, with these kind of things is they're making their engines stronger and stronger through their efforts, but without consciousness of how that power gets onto the road and how that improves their performance, right? They are continually putting more power into the wheel, but they haven't addressed the buckled spokes. They haven't addressed the missing spokes. They haven't addressed the tire pressure. They haven't addressed the, the bearings in the axles, right? And so the fitter and stronger an athlete is, the more they get injured because they're pushing this ineffectual system even harder, right? And I think that's where people, you know, oh, I want to follow run form because I want to run a PR in 12 weeks. No, we want you to follow run form because you will then have the wherewithal to continue running PRs for the rest of your running career. There's these very different components. There's the physiology and the mastery of how to get your specific physiology as fit as possible. All right, but your heart is not rolling down the road. Your lungs are not bouncing down the road. It's all up to your legs, all right? Transferring what the heart and the lungs and the, and the physiology is producing. So it's this massively important component that we just don't think about, right? And I'm with you there. I don't want to sell a single run form if people see run form as a silver bullet. Yeah, no, run form is crossing the it's crossing over in, in, into running heaven it's giving yourself the ability to really enjoy your running and the physiological process and most importantly is giving you the gift of consistency the more yeah. consistent you are in anything the better you will get yeah that's beautiful and i think when it comes to your car analogy you like to give it's like we've built up that engine but we haven't worried about the chassis. We don't have the steering. We don't have, we didn't put brakes in there, right? And so just to, as you talk, I always get these ideas or these examples. But again, I'll bring up Chelsea because I think now it's just a, a great example. Looking at her in that race in Singapore, her legs were like pistons. And I knew pretty early on that she was going to have the, the best run of the day. And what I initially would look at with somebody, though, is can you put the brakes on? Do you have that coordination and control? So have you worked on your mobility? Have you worked on your motor control? And that is where I feel like, again, it's the basics, but it's so important because as a coach, I can see so much when somebody has just gone through these drills. Now, all of a sudden, they can put the brakes on pretty darn well, right? So um, leads me into another question that we get, which is really that our plyometrics in the program are what we generally refer to as flat, fast plyometrics. Is you're getting your feet off the ground quickly, okay? And with 
even the form drills, that doesn't come until month two. Again, for these reasons that we need to be ready for that. And so when we've seen that somebody has consistently done this for a month, then we can start to really uh, use those brakes and we can start to actually press on the gas a little bit. But we want you to be able to do fast plyo, meaning that your feet are off the ground very quickly. And we have found that is much more effective for you, especially when we're introducing athletes to run form, which I definitely want to get your thoughts on that. But on my side of things, just establishing good pogos, good strides with some band resistance. Again, it's not just to contract, but to react in all of those drills. And I see the proof is in the pudding. I see those performances improving, right? And yet when I look at what a lot of athletes are doing, I saw this at highest levels even, you see athletes doing box jumps and that's a slower plyometric, right? So their feet ha are on the ground longer because they're coming down from say 17 to 30 inches, some of them, right? Off of the box. And yet it's on defeated mechanics and they're not getting that force production that they're actually aiming for. Why? In my mind, well, they skipped the basics. They skipped the base work or it's been a really long time and they had some rust on. And we've got to get back to that chassis. We have to get that steering wheel true. All those things are so important. So yeah, those other more bells and whistles that I talk about, those can be really beneficial at the right time. But I have yet to have an athlete who didn't need to go through the basics, even when they're on top of their game, so to speak. So I think it works on so many levels. Yep. Yep. I, you know, that simple distinction, right? Between strength and power, people, people do some sort of strength work. There's a little bit of a muscle endurance component to it because they do the strength work over a period of time. But if you said to somebody, I want you to go into a single legged mid stance running posture. I just want you to bend your knees slightly. I want you to have your heel be a little light. I want you to have your weight on, on your midfoot. I want your arms held up. I want your shoulders down and I want your hips slightly cocked. And now I want you to hold that position for a minute. It's like almost impossible to do. And then you say to them, okay, well, what I'm going to do now is I want you to hold that position up and I'm going to pick you up and drop you down. I'm going to keep dropping you down in that same position. And we're going to do that 90 times a minute, right? <laughs> and, and, and see how you hold up, right? And then people wonder, I've just spent six months in the gym and I went out on a little 20-minute easy run, and I'm ruined. My hips are sore. My knees are sore. My ankles are sore. What happened? Like, am I just, you know, not born to run? No, everybody's born to run. You just got to do the right kind of work. And that's the combination of the four pillars of run for. Yeah, and what I think of there, too, is we have your 12-hop test that I do give to athletes, but it's a test that can be quite vulnerable, I think, especially for some. And they're on a single leg, they're hopping for 12 hops and we measure that distance on each leg, right? Quite dangerous. Dangerous, dangerous don't, even. Don't do the 12 hop test out of the box. No. <laughs> right. Exactly. And so I have, this is my point to this and why I know run form has this principle around it, which is that you want that proximal stiffness for that distal athleticism, right? So 
you get that good dynamic trunk control. And then you're able to unleash it with your whips, in other words. So again, the hub and the spokes of the wheel, and then that wheel is uh, able to really perform well. So looking at that and having examples of that, even with athletes that are further along and they, it is considered safe to me for them to do a 12-hop test, all they do is go to the basics again. And we know even without doing that actual drill or single leg plyos, they get better. Okay, so that answers the question for me. And again, quite honestly, got that answer with Chelsea in just four weeks, right? And we're talking about some big differences and reducing the deficits between sides and increasing the distance, all of those things, that happened by doing the basics. So we're not telling you to go out there and do that drill until you are ready to do it and it's appropriate. But we are saying that we know from athletes, and I've had now several dozen athletes that I've done this with going back to the basics, and they're improving on that test. But the most important thing is that we see that they've reduced those deficits down to say less than 3% even, and their performance is improving in their races or in their training. And that's the important thing, right? Yeah. Finally, we have to answer the question of why do we not have a video of how I should run? Yeah. Yeah. That's a very good question. So let me just quickly take a step back to what you just said. I was watching an elite high jump coach speaking to elite high jumpers, and he took a broomstick, right? And he threw the broomstick down at an angle into the ground, right? So there's no moving parts in a broomstick, right? At an angle into the ground. And as he threw it, he shoved, he created momentum at the top part of the broomstick. And this broomstick hit the ground and went right over a six-foot bar. <laughs> just showing how important that stiffness was. It's brilliant illustration of it's not that complicated, but it's a lot of work to get the body belt to do that. Right. So unbelievably good question. And it's almost sad that it has to be the third question because it's right up there on the podium. It has to be on. Why don't we show videos? And I sent out a video to a number of our athletes the other day of an Olympic 5,000 meter runner who's arguably, you know, has bulletproof form. And in fact, when I said that out, the first male Olympian to qualify for the for the triathlon in, in Paris next year is Morgan Pearson. And Morgan just said, bulletproof running form. There is no better running form than that. And this is from a guy who just ran 29 minutes and some change in the test event off the bike to get himself into the US Olympic team. I often speak about anthropometry, right? People that are born to run have these short torsos. Their hearts are very close to their legs. Their hearts sit almost right on top of their pelvis, right? They have re reasonably short arms. They have very long legs, relatively speaking. They are light in weight. They have light bone structure and so on. And I still see individuals like that run poorly, right? So they, they are ideally suited to running. Then some athletes have shorter legs, right? And so they are running with shorter legs. They're very powerful individuals. They think they should try and extend their stride length longer. But they're actually an ideal candidate that have, has a shorter 
Okay, so if I took an athlete that was perfectly built for running and I taught them how to run like somebody who was less suited to running, they would be ineffectual and vice versa. So there is no single running visual that says that is the right way to run, right? Even the great Ali Gabri Selassie had a problematic big toe, right? Bekele would struggle in the lower limb and in his knees just because he had that incredible back kick, right? Which it was natural. It was from years and years of running on the plains and in the highlands of Ethiopia. So it's very easy to look at somebody and say, here are things that we can improve upon, but we can't look at somebody and say, oh, we got to retool that whole running form to some sort of book or video that shows this is what you have to do, right? It's You can do a little bit of that in swimming, but there's very different ways to swim with very different body types, right? So all of those things are interchangeable. So we did come up with the idea that we would put up various videos of various individuals who are running effectively, but are very different from one another. There, there are the fundamentals of where your shin should be when your foot strikes the ground, whether you're a heel striker or a midfoot striker. There are the fundamentals of the relationship of your chest to your pelvis for you to run more effectively and get more gain out of gravity. There are the kinetic chain fundamentals of what should you be doing with your elbow angles? What should you do, be doing with your shoulder position? that are relevant across the board. But to portray that in a single video of somebody running very beautifully would mean that you are discounting 99% of runners who are not built like that and cannot move like that even if they wanted to. Yeah, I and I almost think of it like, well, I'll take Ryan Peel. Uh, we got to have him on the podcast tell his story, right? So he's training for the Chicago Marathon. He's uh, going to be 45 when he competes. And he's trying to break 240 at this point. Now, with Ryan, he's been working with us for really a couple of months, right? And ultimately, I'm still working on some fundamentals. One of them is his forward head position, okay? But if I can explain this to people appropriately, Ryan is stronger than the average bear, he can do the lock three, if you've ever heard of that. So that's like with your shoulders, if you're laying on the ground and you're doing like the traditional YTWA, but the lock three is done with him. He can do up to 10 pounds and that's as heavy as you really need to get. He's very strong in that position. And he, he also in other areas like pull-ups, things like that, he's very strong. So the point, is it a strength issue? No. Is it a habit issue for him to visually look forward and down with his head? Yes. So we're working on that habit and that's that 30,000 repeat kind of rule, but we're getting along. You gave me a brilliant exercise for him last week to start working on where he grabs a small PVC pipe. I ran down to Home Depot. I got him his own little pipe and we worked on a skipping drill. Now he's still a little bit internally rotated. And so we're looking at some drills for him to do with that pipe where he can start to get his uh, position a little bit better because I do think he can hold his posture. It's more about getting those patterns to match. But my whole point to this and to finish with this is that still 
I'm not going to look at Ryan the same way I'm going to look at uh, Ben Canute, certainly. And when it comes to somebody like Gwen Jorgensen with those long femurs, right, things like that make that look a lot different. And so with a guy like Ryan, if I were to try to get his foot to fall a certain way, which some people are told to do, that would do a big disservice to him. It's just where that foot falls, we want to get that a little bit better. We want to get that maybe a little bit wider even, okay, in his gait. But that does take time and we're getting better. All I can do at this point though is look at not just the visual of two months of running versus today, which is better, okay, but and com him compared to him, I'm saying, but also just in the past, his big problem has been right at this point in training that he always has a niggle usually showing up in his calf, which makes total sense from everything I just talked about that and then T-band. So again, makes total sense when you're running too far in line, you have a little bit too much internal rotation that builds up and that stopped him from being at his best. What I can say is that what we're doing is working because he's not experiencing those issues at all at the same point of his training where he normally does. And I'm very confident that his performance will continue to improve this way. But essentially, we're not building this in a day or even two months, right? I'm still looking at two years, even with somebody like himself who is willing to do that work every day. So I'll finish with this. And I always say I'll finish this, but I really will. And then I'll let you go and we'll close this off. But it's to me, it's like trying to teach farmers how to fish. That's what all of this comes down to because runners, triathletes, endurance athletes, period, very hard workers. They get up early, they do the work, they do their chores, they grind it out. And oftentimes they don't even get uh, a lot of recognition for it, right? Like a farmer, right? And we appreciate you farmers out there feeding us, okay? But learning how to fish, that's a new skill set. But if you learn how to fish, now you have that much more that you can go to for your for your livelihood or your, in this case, your sport, right? So we're learning a new skill set and it does take time, but eventually we're able to catch that big trout. And maybe that is where I would hand it off to you, Bobby. Okay. Yep. And Matt, I, I'll finish off with saying that the general populace that runs in their sport, whether they're triathletes or whether they are distance runners and in all the other sports that employ running as the main movement in their sport, is that our visual of running is photographs, a static moment, right? And so you can take the best runners in the world and scroll through frame by frame of their running gait. Now, you'll find a point where their running gait looks terrible. And then you can take a really poor mechanical runner and you can go through, scroll through their running gait and you'll find a moment where they look halfway decent, right? And I think people tend to lock onto everywhere, everywhere I need to look perfect, right? We work with this so often. So back to your specific example. So when people run, they actually throw their leg into external rotation if they're running effectively, right? So they externally rotate. And that external rotation 
is to give the maximum loadability to the leg, right? So that by the time it hits the ground, it's landing on that lateral heel or it's landing on that lateral midfoot. Now the whole system is open and stiffened. And then when it starts to internally rotate and it starts to pronate, that's when that elastic tissue is loading, right? And so you will find points where you say, oh, that person's too far externally rotated or they're landing externally rotated and there's actually nothing wrong with it. It's actually beautifully loading why they should. And in fact, the, the, the East Africans, especially the Kenyans, are quite notorious for being quite duck-footed when they run. They have quite a lot of external rotation. None of them have internal rotation for the reasons that you said, right? And so when you start even improving not only the actual kinematic visual at that moment of, oh, he used to be internally rotated. If you improve that by a half a millimeter, the work done has expanded the tissue's capacity to deal with that to the tune of five millimeters or even a centimeter, right? And then that's when the IT band is not showing up. That's when the plantar fasciitis is not showing up. That's when the Achilles tendonitis is not showing up because you've not changed the movement that much, but you've expanded the capacity of the joint to deal with that kind of loading. Because again, most of us know naturally how to run, but just over time, we've lost that capacity to deal with the ranges we require. That was great, Matt. Thanks so much. It's always fun. I, I, I sometimes wonder how, how we get to where we get in these conversations because I'm really nervous at the start saying, oh, I'm going to be stuck with a mouthful of teeth in five minutes here. Yeah, it never happens. You and I are certainly in sync with all this. I think I just, I think the same way. And then as we talk, I just get more and more excited and I think, oh, shoot, we got to end this thing soon already. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, looking forward to next week's talk. I'm certainly looking forward to it because I learn more every time I get to talk to you. Yeah, looking forward to it, brother, and talk next time. Thank you, Matt. Same for me. As always, thanks for listening to the RunForm podcast. And as a reminder, we offer a totally free movement improvement assessment on our Pandola Project website. Here, you can get your own personalized protocol that will help your running today. So give that a try. Also, Bobby and I are experts on any question app where you can ask us, well, any question. So reach out to us directly there. Finally, if you learned anything new today, don't forget to share it with your compadres and leave us a quick review. That really helps us a lot. All the links you need are in the show notes below. Till next time, have a great run. Well, that was that was awesome. Yeah.